This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 40. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Today, I'm excited to have John Callos back on the show. And if that name sounds familiar, then you might have heard John on a previous episode of the show called How to Save Thousands at Your Bank, Secrets of an Ex-Banker, where John, as an ex-banker, shared some of his top tips and strategies uh, to basically save you significant amounts of money when dealing with the banks here in Canada. In fact, it was actually the most downloaded episode in the show's history. So if you ever want to check that episode out, it's episode 30. So you can go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash 30 or just use whatever. I, uh, whatever podcast player you're using, like iTunes, uh, to find episode 30 there. It's a really, really good episode. Now, John is a fee-for-service financial planner, which means he isn't one of those financial planners that are really just there to sell you investments so that they can earn their bonus or commission. He actually doesn't get compensated to sell any investment product, so his advice is totally unbiased, and he is instead focused exclusively on providing just quality you know, financial planning advice to Canadians. So John has been in the industry for over 25 years, and his lack of bias and just general concern for the financial well-being of Canadians has made him one of the very few financial planners that I actually trust and go to whenever I want an unbiased second opinion or some analysis done on my own investments, you know, my own financial plan. Uh, in fact, last year, my wife and I hit our financial independence number, which basically means, you know, our investments were large enough that we don't really have to work anymore. And so we both quit our job and she retired while I decided to be uh, you know, semi-retired. And now one of the big questions that came up after we hit that milestone was how to change and optimize the investment portfolio that we have now that we're retired and semi-retired. Meaning, you know, when you no longer have two full-time salaries to pay for everything, how do you actually live off the investment? And the second big question that I had was, can you crunch and analyze our financials to see if we actually do have enough to retire? So I've done lots of financial planning for myself and for others, but I find that when it's your own money and your own financial plan, there's value in having another unbiased professional do your financial plan just to get a second opinion and ensure that what you have planned is optimized to the max, you know, to basically maximize your results and lower your taxes and to really have a second opinion in case you have any sort of biases that, uh, you know, since it is your own money and so you inherently want your numbers to work so that you can have an early retirement. So what I did is I approached John to see if he can be my family's financial planner and do an actual full financial plan for us. And then we can use our financial plan as a case study on the show so that other Canadians can get some insights on how to actually execute an early retirement and at the same time, get a better understanding of what a financial plan should include, find out what it can do for you, and get some insider tips from a real ex-banker on what to look out for when you encounter a financial planner or advisor trying to sell you a service like that. All right, now before we dive into the episode, I did want to mention that if you do have some questions for John, or if you'd like to discuss potentially having him take a look at your financial situation too, just like he did with my family, then you can sign up for a free consultation with him by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash John, just J-O-H-N. Uh, and that's you know totally free. There's no obligation or anything like that. 
Now, before we get into all of that, I wanted to thank this episode's sponsor, which is paytm.ca, which is a free app that helps you manage all your bills in one place. Now, when I first heard about this, I thought, but I can already do this with my bank. Well, Paytm pays you to pay your bills. Now, and now what do I mean by that? Well, they run all kinds of different promotions, such as getting you up to 2% cash back on the bills that you pay through the app, and even as high as 10% cash back on certain purchases. And recently, they even gave away two iPhone 10s, each one worth over $1,300, and they also gave away an all-inclusive resort vacation just for members paying their bills through the app. Now, no bank in Canada is giving away that much when you pay your bills. You usually get nothing when you pay your bills through just a regular bank. Now, as a sponsor of the show, Paytm is giving away $10 cash back to all Build Wealth Canada listeners when they make their first bill payment. And so to get that, just download the Paytm app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. And when you run the app, just choose the types of bills that you'd like to pay. And when you're paying that bill, enter the promo code build wealth and when you do that you'll instantly get ten dollars cash back on that bill so that promo code again is build wealth all lowercase and no spaces to get that ten dollars cash back and you can also go to paytm.ca and download the app from there where you uh, whether you're an apple or an android user so once again a big thank you to paytm for supporting build wealth canada and now let's get into the show all right, John, welcome to the show. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you very much, Cornell. Nice to be back again. <laughs> so, John, you and I went through the entire financial planning process together uh, with you as our financial planner. And after you created the plan for our family, one of the insights that came out of it, which really goes against what we hear in the media a lot, is that if you were to retire or semi-retire now, you know you don't necessarily always need a one million dollar or more investment portfolio to uh, to pull that off. So, you know, for example, our portfolio wasn't at a million dollars, and all the numbers supported that we still have enough for a full retirement right now. So, you know, why do you think we often hear in the media how you need that one million dollars or more portfolio, and why is this not necessarily always the case? Well, as far as why we hear it in the media, it's that's that's very difficult to understand. You know, I mean, every situation is different. Every person's lifestyle is different. Um, you know, you might have assets in the future that you can depend on uh, for your retirement, and in which case you wouldn't need to save a million dollars. Uh, example, you might have a home right now that you're willing to downsize in the future. Um, so that there's so many different variables that that will make you know a million dollars too much or not enough there you know if somebody wants a, a very high lifestyle they'll need more than a million dollars if somebody is not going to be spending too much money they're they're, they're going to need less than a million it depends if you know people have a pension that they can rely on as well so there's just so many other you know variables that come into play to help us or to try to help us figure out if a million dollars or or not is enough that that number comes out of nowhere as far as i'm concerned because again for some people a million dollars won't be enough for others it'll be it'll be you know very much you know some people want to leave you know a good amount of money for their children other people want to leave the house only for their children others are, are going to say no i work for everything myself and you know that's how my children will do it as well so it's 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 a mythical number it doesn't make sense I've, I've never used that number myself. Yeah, and I know like you have an interesting take on this too because you're you're an ex-banker, right? I mean, you you work in in those banks, and and I remember when we had a kind of a previous conversation a while back, you mentioned that you know the investment industry is set up in such a way that they want you to just keep saving, keep saving, keep saving as much as possible because they get the, the fees off that, right? Like if you're buying a mutual fund or something like that, for example, right? So. Yeah, yeah. 
you're you're so right, and and I can tell you some other scare tactics that have been used, and I've heard this for many many years. Now I've been in the industry for a little over twenty years, and um, tactics. You know, people, you know, advisors will tell you, don't depend on the Canada Pension Plan or old age security. That's going to be bankrupt by the time you're retired. That doesn't make sense. This has always been the case, and that's just not true. Um, so that's one one tactic. Another tactic is setting inflation expectations too high, which really skews, you know, the amount of savings that that you'll have to that you'll have to do to keep up. So there's many variables that, um, unfortunately, people use to to scare people into saving more money and the one way that i look at it is if you're going to save all your money and not live now well you're going to be probably the richest person in a retirement home and you know you won't be able to enjoy it so no don't let's not fall in uh, let's not be victims to all the scare tactics that are out there for, for sure yeah i mean like if you're an advisor that you know gets a percentage of you know, whatever the person is investing it's so much easier to just say kind of put you know put your head in the sand just keep keep working indefinitely keep saving as much as possible because they're you know they just keep collecting kind of these fees you know, once the conversation turns okay i think we're ready to retire now can you help us with our financial planning how should we you know how should we change things now that we're entering this new phase of our life now it becomes a much more involved process right it's no longer just as simple as you know write me a check or you know transfer transfer this money into this mutual fund and that's it we're done right like it's that's right. right so now this conversation gets opened up and then you know and if that advisor is just a kind of a well you know they call themselves an advisor but they're really just a salesperson right and they don't have that kind of experience and expertise and actually planning someone's retirement then now you know they get scared because now they, they think oh well maybe the person will take their assets and leave or you know they'll start managing themselves or you know something or you know go start working with a you know fee-for-service financial planner like yourself right so so i can see how the way the compensation works right how there is that incentive for people to just say oh no you what you have is not enough you know keep keep working <laughs> keep your, you know nose to the grindstone right that's right and, and unfortunately um most of the industry is built on commissions and um as you mentioned when when somebody is getting paid on commission on based on the products that they sell let's face it there's a conflict of interest there and I, needless to say i'm not saying you know every advisor you know, takes only that into consideration. There's lots of good advisors out there, but you have to keep in mind that, you know, if if they're having a slow month, for example, and the next client walks in, well, there, you know, there's there's a good chance that they're going to be sold a, a very expensive product that might be that might not be suited for them. So there's a lot there's a lot that people have to navigate through and a lot of things that they need to know before they actually start working with a financial planner. And um, hopefully this is something that we can sort of address in, in what we're doing right now, uh, Cornell. Mm -hmm. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. And I totally get your what you're saying, how, uh, you know, just, just how you don't need as much as, as you may think. I, like one number I heard a lot was like, oh, 70%, you need, you know, 70% of your income in retirement. But that's such a generic number, right? It, it doesn't go very, very deep. It makes so many assumptions, right? Like that you're going to spend 70% of your kind of pre-retirement income in retirement. I mean, uh, like there's things like just several things come to mind, right? Like, well, you need a second car in retirement. Well, you could probably get away with just having one because, you know, you're not commuting to work anymore, right? Like if you're, you know, living with a, with a partner or whatever uh 
Um, and then also, you know, are you living in an expensive part of the country? Like if you're working in Toronto and then you retire, you don't have to keep living in Toronto. You can move somewhere where it's much less expensive to live. And so now you've just freed up all this money. You might have had an expensive house there or an expensive condo, right? So, you know, there's all these other variables, right, that aren't being factored in when someone just says, oh, yeah, you need 70 percent. That's that's the rule, you know, something like that. Exactly. And you mentioned an important point is the fact of, you know, where do you want to live when you retire? Um, as you mentioned, will you need one car or two? On, on the other hand, you might need more than 70% because what if your health is not in, in good shape at that point? You know, what if you're going to need, uh, you know, care that is not covered by our Medicare? So there's, as you said, there are just too many variables and we can actually spend a whole show going over all of the variables, but there's just so much that needs to be, let's say, digested by the financial planner. And this is where the initial interview with a financial planner and subsequent interviews play such a big role in trying to figure out how much money you need to save. So as, as you saw, when we started, you know, talking and, and when we went through the, you know, the process that we have, uh, the first interview was basically Let's talk about what your goals are, what your needs are. Let's talk about, you know, what you what you know, what you don't know. So a very over, you know, a big overview of 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 what you're looking for and and, you know, what your goals are going forward. That's the most important aspect. And that's where, you know, you start getting an idea of what a client looks for. And then, you know, after a couple of meetings, you can start saying this is what you need to do. Um and, and, and give a little bit more, you know, concrete recommendations. For sure, for sure. Instead of just going off like a, you know, a headline or like a quote by some financial kind of guru, which maybe applies in general, but may not necessarily apply to your situation, right? So, and, and, and yeah. you know what? We, we can't even use the word general. Everyone's different. Yeah, yeah. Every, every family situation is different. If somebody's inheriting a lot of money, you know, from their parents in the future, or if there's any other kind of windfall, well, needless to say, they don't have to save as much money. On the other hand, if somebody has a lot of money and they want to leave, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, money to their kids, well, then, you know, then everything changes and every family is different. That's mm -hmm. why every financial plan that I've done is completely different. There's right. no such thing as rule of thumb and, and, and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring, you bring up an interesting point. Maybe your spending will actually be more than 70%. That's quite possible too, right? Like if, uh, like, like you mentioned the health example, and then you mentioned the parents too, right? Like if you're inheriting, but, but what if there's the reverse of, let's say your parents didn't maybe plan enough for their retirement or, or something happened that prevented them from, you know, saving as much as they ideally would like to have saved, you know, now maybe you have to take care of your parents financially in their old age as well, right? Uh, exactly. on, on top of your own family, right? So, so yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like in our case, the number is well below 70, but I can totally see how in some circumstances it could be even be over 70, you know, that's especially right. if you have other families relying on you for, for income. Correct. And that's why I told you also, um, Cornell, that we've done a plan, right? That's not where it ends. This is where the relationship begins. So every year, or I'd say once or twice a year, a plan has to be reviewed for the reason that you just brought up, which is there's things, things will change going forward. I'm the one who told you the plan that we have right now might not be the same plan five or six years from now because life changes, mm -hmm. situations change, employment changes, health changes. So every year we need to readjust and we need to you know, create something new based on what the circumstances are at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it was, it was, it's definitely an interesting thing to get to get used to that. Okay, you're doing this plan, but it, a year from now, 
we may have to make some very significant tweaks, you know, because, you know, different things could happen. So exactly. it's or we uh, might yeah. say everything stays the same because nothing has changed. Right. But we need to do a review on a regular basis because the truth is life changes. And there's just too many variables out there mm-hmm. that, that, that can affect, you know, planning. For sure, for sure, yeah. Uh, no, that's great. So, uh, so let's uh, go into doing a case study using myself as an example, just so that we can have a, you know that real life case study as opposed to just some hypotheticals or, or just theories. So, you know, right. we'll, we'll focus on how to execute an early retirement or at least an early semi-retirement. So, to start, uh, what I thought I'll do is I'll mention the objectives and questions that I came to you with, and I think this will give listeners kind of a good preview of what we'll cover in the episode. And I think that you know, since these were things that I wanted to address, and I think likely other can. Canadians have these questions too. So I think right. it'll be kind of you know applicable to everyone, even so, you know, we're kind of keep it uh like we'll use real life examples, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh we'll kind of keep it so that everybody can still kind of learn from it and, and apply it to their own lives. So um so yeah, so let's go over kind of some of the goals. So, you know, w- when I uh approached you about this initially, um, you know, I, I basically finished analyzing all my own numbers. So I'm I'm kind of a big, you know, money geek as well, right? And oh uh, you are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, before I even approached you, right? I mean, I had like like I have a fi- another financial planning software that I use, um, Snap Projections, which which I really like, um, and then there's um, and then I you know have my Excel spreadsheets and you know right. and, and all this analysis that I've done and you know all my you know so I've tested it out. Everything is pointing that yes, we can retire either fully or semi-retirement. You know whatever we want, we can we can do it at this point. Uh, right. You know, but I really wanted to have someone. Uh, like an expert like yourself, you know, with all kind of your, you know, your 25 plus years of experience, you know, check over my calculations, check over my analysis, just to make sure that I didn't make a mistake somewhere and basically confirm, you know, saying, you know, can you confirm that? Yes, my numbers are right. Yes. Can we in fact fully retire, you know, or can we, you know, or semi-retire, you know, whichever, you know, let's talk about both of them. And if so, what's the optimal way to structure everything in the retirement? So, you know, I really wanted to ensure that, you know, we're optimized properly from an investment perspective, you know, and a tax point of view as well. So, you know, looking at our RSPs, DFSA, looking at our non-registered accounts, you know, if we're for semi-retirement, are we, you know, are we using those properly now that, you know, my wife's retired, let's say I'm semi-retired or fully retired, you know, do we have to make any sort of tweaks when we get there? And the tweaks that I think I should make, are those the correct tweaks, you know, kind of based on your experience? Um, so, you know, just, you know, making sure we're keeping the right investments in the right accounts, having things optimized, you know, having things tax efficient, and also making sure that we're not missing out on anything, any sort of strategies or anything like that, that can further reduce taxes, you know, further grow our investments, right? So just kind of picking right. your brain based on all your experience because because you never it's it's, it's kind of like you know you don't know what you don't know right um and kind of the way i look at it is like even if you're like let's say a world-class engineer when you're working on a project you know you probably it's 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 a good idea to still have other engineers who you trust and respect look at your work to make sure that okay is there a way to make it even more optimal is there a way to make it more efficient did did, did you make a mistake somewhere right because i find too like when you're doing your own numbers and you're crunching your own things it's it's uh, I, I was afraid that i might have a bias of some sort right like because right. it's you know it's my money right so and, and you, you want to <laughs> see it work you know you want to yeah. make it work yeah yeah, yeah exactly right and i want to make yeah, yeah exactly right so i was like you know what this will be good to get like an unbiased type of 
you know, so someone that that just kind of does it all independently. Like, you know, you're using a different software, you're doing your own, you know, your own kind of assumptions, which turn out to be different than mine sometimes too, right? Like some of sure. yours were actually more, actually, uh, uh, I would say yours were more conservative than mine. Like you used a more conservative rate of return. Um, you, you made some CPP and OAS assumptions that were uh, more conservative than what I had. Um, right. So it, so it was, so I thought that was really good, right? Because you kind of like stress tested it even more than I did uh, to make sure that things are still okay. So um, I don't know, like that definitely put me at ease going through that, go, going through that whole uh, whole process. Right. Um, so yeah, so I mean, we'll keep things actionable here just so that all listeners can actually apply what's being taught as opposed to just let's talk only about Cornell and things that only apply to him. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I yeah. did want to stress the importance of having a financial plan done like this um, that's basically customized to your specific situation. Um, just because there's so many nuances and things can get pretty, I find, you know, they can get pretty complicated, especially from a taxation standpoint, uh, so that if you want to optimize things, you know, to pay the least amount of tax possible, you know, while earning a good return based on your circumstances and your risk tolerance, you know, you do want things kind of custom made because like you said already, right, everybody is is a, is different, right? So, I do think there's a need for an unbiased second set of eyes just to kind of objectively look at your plan and evaluate everything, right? So, right. Uh, you know, like I've done financial planning for others in the past, you know, I've been trained on how to do it, you know, and I still wanted uh, you there. I still wanted a second set of eyes just to go over everything, you know, mm -hmm. due to how important it is, right? And and just to be, and just for someone else to have a completely unemotional look uh, and, and say, okay, no, this isn't, this is, these, these are the cold hard facts, right? There's no, right. there's right. no emotion to it. So, um, and remove kind of any biases. So to give every Everyone listening, some actionable things they can do when searching for a financial planner. Uh, you're looking to get a financial plan done, looking for a financial planner that's right for them. What are the red flags that you look out for when that, that listeners of the podcast should look out for when they're meeting, trying to find a good financial planner, a good financial advisor? All right. Well, there are a few, and I'll start. I'll, I'll start with um, the first one, which I think um, people fall sort of a trap into, and that's the free financial plan. Now, when you hear that there's anything that's given to you for free, you should be asking questions. If, if now, what, what tends to happen in the industry is, in, and mostly in banks and, and you know, um, there's other independent firms that offer you a free financial plan, you got to remember that they got to make their money somehow. And basically, what a free financial plan is, it's sort of like something that'll get you curious and interested in buying their products and that's where they make their money. So all I'm saying is that if somebody is offering you something for free, they're making their money some way else. And that's typically from commissions on expensive products that you're going to sell you. So that's how, you know, when I did your plan, Cornell, it took me hours and hours and hours and going over it several times. And that's a lot of time off, off my back. So this is how a professional financial planner gets compensated is by charging for the plan. And then when it's time to implement the plan, typically independent financial planners use instruments that are much less expensive than what you would get through a mutual fund or anything like that. So that's, you know, getting something for free, which is a, a document basically, which will, you know, spell out how you're, you, you should be planning your investments or your life for that matter is, is a lot of hard work and anything that's there for free, there's usually a catch to it. And the catch usually is you're going to be paying a lot of money for the products that you're going to sell you. So that's flag number one, which I think is very, very important. Flag number two, if you're setting up a first initial meeting with a financial planner, that meeting should only be 
to get an idea of who you are and what you're looking for. If somebody asks you to bring in your statements, well, what they're trying to do is size you up to see how much money you have to see if it's worth speaking to you again in the future. So that doesn't make sense either. So anyone who says, bring your statements and we can take a look at things, that's another red flag as far as I'm concerned. If product is brought up in the first meeting, that should be another indication that you're probably dealing with somebody who only has product on their mind. So if you know you walk in and you say, I'm looking for you know a retirement plan, and they start saying, well, you know what you should do? You should buy some Canadian stock or some Canadian mutual funds, which have always you know, done better than GICs, for example. If a discussion starts, or in a first meeting, if a discussion includes actual investment products, that should be a red flag as well. I mean, I can go on and on, but there's a couple of other things that are very important. If you find somebody that you feel comfortable with and you're ready to start a relationship, make sure that they have what's called a letter of engagement. It's a document that spells out exactly what their services are, exactly how much money you'll be paying and and what will be covered. That's a letter of engagement that's signed by the financial planner it's signed by the client as well, and it's a very good guideline. And if you're not getting that when you're ready to do business with a financial planner, that's another big red flag as far as I'm concerned. A good financial planner should also encourage you to speak to some of the other clients that the planner has to get an idea how you know how things have gone. So they should be able to refer you several clients that will will tell you how things have gone with that planner. So if they're not offering, or I should say, the client should actually ask for people that they can sort of get a referral from or, or get a reference from. And if they're not willing to give you anything like that, well, that's another red flag as far as I'm concerned. It means that they're not confident in themselves. So those are those are a couple. And as I as I mentioned to you, there are other things. Definitely, definitely, maybe I'll end with this definitely make sure that you're going to get a financial plan because it still surprises me in this day and age how many planners are not providing financial plans. It's it's incredible. And the product should always be the last thing that's on the table. Financial plans need to be created because if you don't have a roadmap of where you want to go, you're never going to get there. So those, you know, in, in three or four minutes, those are the red flags that I think are the most important ones out there. And also, if you have a first impression or a, a gut feeling, let's say, when you're interviewing somebody or when you're sitting down with somebody, go with your gut feeling. If you feel that something is, is missing or you're not understanding what they're, what they're saying or they're not talking your language, that's another sign that, you know, this might not be the right person. There's plenty of people out there. It could take some time to find somebody good. It's always good, you know, to get referrals. It's always good to get, um, you know, you can go to the Financial Planning Standards of Canada and and see, um, you know, certified financial planners in your area that, that they can refer you towards. And here's another one. I'm, I'm always saying I'm going to end with this, one, but here's a good one. Look at your business card. If their title is financial planner, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a certified financial planner. If you see on their business card, the word advisor with an E versus advisor with an O, advisor with an O is not a certified financial planner. 
So there's all these little nuances that people don't know, but that are so important. And hopefully, you know, with your show here, we're giving people a lot of advice as to what to look for, you know, when, 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 when we're looking for a financial planner. For sure. And, and your, um, your first tip kind of got me thinking of a quote. So when you said, you know, be, watch out for this quote unquote, you know, free, free financial plan, free advice. Um, I remember getting a quote once that says that, you know, the most expensive advice is the free advice that you get. That's right. right. Like when you're like, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, like a legal advice or financial planning advice, let's say you're in a big legal thing. Are you going to go for some free legal advice? Well, no, if the stakes are high, like let's say you're buying a house, you know, you're going to go with, you want to go with a good lawyer, right? Because it's, it's a pretty big, you know, deal, right? And same with, same with financial planner, right? Like this is supposed to be saving for your retirement. This is supposed to prevent you from eating cat food when you're retired. Exactly, older. exactly, exactly. So, you know, like stakes are high. You know, if you have kids, they're dependent on you, fin- you know, financially and such, right? So, I mean, these are big, big sure. critical decisions. So do you really want to go for this, you know, free advice, even though, right. and, and like you said, it's not actually free, right? Because they just get paid on the back end, right? With the right. products they sell you, right? So, yeah. It's very important what you're saying. And and you know what we're saying, you know, don't go the free route. And that makes a lot of sense. But you also want to make sure that you're not paying fees for no reason. And let me let me tell you what I mean. Typically, you go to a bank, for example, or, or a stockbroker or whatever, you get a free financial plan. Then you get your money invested and you're paying two, two and a half percent to have that money invested for you. Whereas you can go to a financial planner, they'll charge you for a plan. But typically, I say typically, overall, when you're dealing with a person who's not being paid based on the product that they sell, typically your overall costs go down and they go down significantly. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, the tools that I like using for 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 implementing a plan and getting people's money invested are very very cheap compared to what most people out there use and uh, i'm going to say mutual funds are very expensive mutual funds are good tools for people that are starting out and don't have a lot of experience but it's extremely expensive so free plan plus expensive mutual funds gets you a lot of fees for nothing Mm -hmm. and people don't realize that because Fees are usually hidden and they don't even come up in a conversation for crying out loud. And this still happens in this day and age. People should get educated about these things. And for that matter, planners should be, you know, completely transparent and and say exactly what the fees are. But that's not done these days. And that's where the letter of engagement comes into play that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I really like the process that you and I went through when you did our financial plan. And I think it's a really good example of what the process should be like. So now that you've talked a bit about sort of the negative things to look out for and and what we don't want, can you give us a brief overview of your process? And I know this is something you've been optimizing for, you know, like 20 plus years. So can you also highlight the critical pieces in the process that everyone should have when working with a financial planner, whether they're working with you or just any financial planner for that matter? Right. So... Let me start off with saying this. Every step in the process is critical uh, because, I mean, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So every step of the process has a lot of information and a lot of things that need to be taken into account before anything is done. So the process that I use, and as you mentioned, you've gone through the exact same process, is typically a client will come and ask for help, all right? And, and, um, so basically we set up a first interview and what that interview 
you know, concerns is, as I mentioned, I, I specifically say don't bring any statements or anything like that because that's not what we're going to be talking about. It's just that people are used to, you know, having them bring statements to a first interview because that's just how the, you know, the majority of the industry operates. But it's not a good idea to have that. Let's just talk about what your issues are, what your concerns are, what you know about tax planning, you know, the questions in the first interview are basically, um, have you done any retirement planning in the past? Do you know when you want to retire? Do you know if you want to retire? I mean, I have, you know, business owner clients who say retirement, what the hell is retirement? I mean, there's no, uh, I love what I do and, 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 you know, it doesn't look like I'm ever going to retire. So people have different, you know, objectives and this is what we need to go through in the first meeting. Have you ever done any education planning for children, um, your insurance needs, estate planning? So we're, we're, we're going through the, the overview of what you've done and what your concerns are. And that's the discussion that we have in a first meeting. So once a first meeting is, is done, what I like to encourage clients is I say, and even before we meet, I typically say, our first meeting will give you a chance to see what we do and how how we're and if we're able to help you because you have an idea of what you need and you'll get an idea of what we do and if we're able to help you it'll also give me an idea of I, if I can help you based on what you're looking for because there are certain clients where we've said it doesn't make sense for a variety of reasons but that first meeting at the end of the meeting that's the objective to find out if if it you know, sounds like a good fit and sounds like it could be mutually beneficial if we work together. If we see that this is the case after first meeting, then we go on to the second meeting where the details come out a little bit more. At that point, I will ask a prospective client to bring a slew of information, including their tax returns, their wills, if they have any, any state, any bank statements as far as mortgage investments are concerned or anything like that, as much information as possible. And at that point, we'll go through all that information. And once we have, you know, once once I get a very good feeling of what it is or how you look and what it is that you're looking for, then I'll be able to confidently say, you know what, I think I'm able to help you. And it also gives, again, a, a, a chance for the client to sort of kick our tires and say, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. So those are the, that's the process, at least the first two steps. Excuse me, I'm just taking a little drink of water. Sure, As sure. you can hear, Cornell, my voice is not at 100%. It's not at karaoke level, right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. And, and if, if I'll just quickly tell everybody, we've been planning this show for weeks now, but I went through laryngitis, and it's still not 100%, but we figured, let's go ahead and do it anyways. So please excuse me if I'm turning you off with my voice, but I figured, and we both figured that it's important to get this out there now because it's RSPC and also and people tend to think about these things a little bit more uh, in February. So I thought it was a good idea to get this going, you know, whether my voice is 100% or not. So if I'll be pausing every so often to drink a little bit of water, please excuse me. So, so at the point, at that point, we've done the second meeting. It all makes sense. We look at the letter of engagement word for word. We get it signed. And then we start the planning process where I'll ask you some more questions to figure out what your goals are. And then a presentation of your financial plan 
is done, whether it's in person or whether it's, you know, over the phone or with technology these days, I got clients across Canada. So, you know, we were able to do um, what we did together, you know, over the computer and over the phone and everything went well. So that's when the planning process starts and I go through, you know, the typical questions and some not so typical questions to figure out exactly what you want. You know, we'll look at obviously your personal information. You know, we'll look at the sources of retirement income that you have, including the Quebec uh, Canada Pension Plan, all the security. Is there any windfall coming in for you in the future? We'll assess the personal assets that you have right now, TFSAs, um, you know, RSPs, anything else like that. And then we'll prepare a plan that'll show you basically where you are today where you want to be tomorrow and what are the steps that you need to take to get there. And we, we basically, or I basically show different proposals, different solutions. Like when we looked at your, um, your, your choices, Cornell, when it comes to retirement, I showed you several things, right? I basically told you with the assets that you have and with what you're looking for when it comes to retirement, well, you have a few options. You can a, Based on the again, based on the numbers, you can increase your lifestyle if you want. In other words, if you want to spend X amount of dollars, well, you know what? You have enough money to spend X plus, you know, plus another ten or twenty thousand dollars. That's one choice. Or you can, you know, reduce your, you know, your retirement age. In your case, you can go ahead and retire right now if you want. But for, typically, I might see somebody who says, you know, I want to retire at sixty. And I'll tell them, well, based on what we've talked about, you know, you could retire at 55 or, you know what, it's not very realistic. You need to retire at 65. So there's different options. I can, I, I told you that if you wanted to, based on your goals again and based on the income that you want and the amount of assets that you have, you can take less risk in your portfolio. Right. You don't need to have 80% in equity or 50% in equity. Believe it. I mean, there are some people that come with investment with their st statements where they're fully invested in equities. They're not very comfortable with the risk factor. Once I've told them, you know, what the best case and worst case scenarios are. And, and when, when they find out that they don't even need to take so much risk or accept so much volatility, I mean, you see it's sort of like a relief because I tell them, you don't need 8% to retire. You need more like 4%. And that can be done a lot easier in more conservative waves. So that's another option. Take less risk. Or, you know, we I can show a client that you don't have to have so much money in equity or so much money in bonds. So there's different options that are available once the analysis is done yeah for sure yeah and that definitely got my gears turning because I, I was always you know 100 percent equities you know i i took kind of that approach yeah uh, and then yeah but when we had that meeting you were like Cornell, you really don't have to do that anymore <laughs> right? right so and, and you know what so, yeah, i wasn't yeah. i wasn't encouraging you to become more conservative yeah but I, I was also telling you what if right right this year we have a repeat of 2008 2009 and you know what these past couple of days right right it's you know it got the got maybe got the wheels turning and <laughs> it, as long as people know what the choices are and what the consequence of each choice is positives and negatives, then they can make an educated decision. And I'm there to help them make that decision if they want my opinion. But we'll always have a choice, the positive consequences and the negative consequences of each choice. And then we make an, an informed decision. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I liked your approach, right? Because it wasn't like you're like, oh, Cornell, you gotta do it this, you know, th this way. It was more like, look, just think about these options because you have these options available to you. That's right. Uh, that that's you, right. You don't necessarily have to be all equities anymore. Like before, for me, it was a no brainer to be all equities because it's like, well, if you want to do the early retirement thing, I need to really try to go for maximum returns, right? So that was kind of, so I just kind of went, you know, autopilot on all equities and that was my thing, even though I mentioned before, like I, I don't recommend that for everyone because that's obviously a very kind of aggressive allocation, but Correct. but yeah, but it was kind of, you know, but you kind of said, Cornell, you're kind of, you know, transitioning now, right? Because you've, you've reached kind of that, that, you know, financial independence number. So are you, you know, do you really want to keep doing that? Which, it, you know, long-term you'll end up further ahead if you keep doing the all equities thing, but realize you totally don't need to do that anymore. Uh, That's to, right. To hit some goal, right? So so think about Correct. it at least, right? Yeah. And, and you know what? When somebody is at the board, let's say somebody's at the borderline of, you know, I, I, I have enough, but, you know, it's not, I'm not terribly comfortable with the amount of money I have and you're retiring, well, if you're withdrawing money from your portfolio to live and your portfolio goes down 50%, holy cow, you're in trouble. And this is this is things that we saw in 2008 and 2009. So there are, you know, things that you can do to protect yourself from things like, you know, from the markets. But just know that as long as you know the choices and what the consequence of each choice is, well, then, you know, that's that's the best way of doing it. And then and then adapting as we go forward, adapting to the changes in the market, adapting to the changes in your life. That's that's probably the best way that, that, that I can tell people to do it. Just have some goals, stick with them. They might change. And if they do change your plan, but always have a few choices of what needs to be done. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, it was it was just good to have that sort of selection of, of options. Right. And mm -hmm. then you're and then I got kind of got to look at them and, and, and say, OK, you know, is this do we still want to keep on this route or do we want to change things a bit? Uh, but it's just, yeah, it was nice to, and that, that was kind of the other thing, right? Like, even though I, you know, I study this stuff all the time and I do, you know, my own, you know, finances and all that, uh, yeah. it, it is, it, that was another good example of where having kind of that second set of eyes that's totally independent of you to take a look at it and say, Hey, Cornell, you, you know, at least consider this at this point, because, you know what I mean? Whereas if it wasn't right, for right. you, I probably would have been like, just, you know, just, 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 cause it's, sometimes it's really easy to go, to keep going on autopilot, especially if, if things have worked out well for you, you know, doing it a certain way, like, like it has exactly. in our case, yeah. things have worked out really well we, right. because I did things a certain way and, and that kind of a thing. But then it's good to say, okay, well, you know, if, when things change a little bit, like in our case, you know, you know, the, for, if we're to move to semi-retirement or fully retirement, then you want, you want someone to sort of say, Hey, let, let's actually take a step back now because now it's time to actually reevaluate. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I found that was really valuable because it kind of gets your, got my head out of the sand a little bit and be like, Hey, let's, let's look at other options that maybe we didn't consider before. Cause it was like, Oh, retirement's years and years away or, you know, yeah, that, that's years right. away, you know, <laughs> and, and you yeah. know what else Cornell in your, in your situation, obviously, and in many people's situation right now, remember we've gone through the biggest bull market I think we've ever seen. Yeah. And people tend to have a short or small or short memory, I should say. It's been close to 10 years where the markets have pretty much have gone straight up. So people get, uh, you know, they turn down the radar, let's say. And I'm here to say you have to consider that there could be major corrections. There will, I'm sorry, there will be major corrections. The markets are going to drop significantly. Is that going to happen today, a month from now, a year from now, or five years from now? Nobody knows. But you have to keep that in mind and not just say, I know I can do 8% a year for the next 30 years. Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. 
Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. So, and this is where you have to adapt and where your financial planner has to adapt along with you. Yeah, yeah. And I remember kind of when we had that conversation, you actually went in and you, like I was using 8% uh, return for my assumptions because right. I was like, oh, I'm going to keep doing all equities. So if I go keep doing all equities, okay. then 8% actually, I would say more on the conservative side. Like if you look at kind of you know, historically, it's, it's right. all equity yeah. portfolios generate more than 8% uh, like That's right. historically, right? But you're like, okay, Cornell, let's let's do the lower number. I think we use 6% or something like that, especially because right. you're like, hey, well, what if down the road, in the near or you know medium future, you decide, hey, you know what? Let's let's do a little fixed income just to keep you know keep things a little bit more stable, keep things a little bit less volatile, right? Uh, and so yeah, so that was kind of another uh, interesting thing to say. Yeah, you know what? Let's use a lower number because yeah, it's probably shouldn't assume I'm gonna. Like, like, is it wise to assume I'm gonna be in equities my enti- all 100% equities my entire life? And let's and let's see what happens if I'm not. You know, you're not going to be. I hope you're not going to be yeah. when you're 75 or you know 70. In, in the in those years, it's you're taking huge risks if you're gonna be all in equity at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, on on your side, your goals are achievable. You're not asking for the sky. You don't want to spend a hundred grand a year, so it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And and so in in your case, we've as you mentioned, stress test stress tested your portfolio, where even if you're making almost zero percent, most of your costs are covered, right? Right. So I mean, and, and that's a great situation to be in. So you can afford to take maybe a little bit more risk. On the other hand, I'd rather say, let's use a conservative number and if we get better results than that then great cherry on the cake right right exactly um yeah so so john when you did my plan there were several key components that you made sure you factored in that yes. could really make a huge impact on whether someone can retire early or not uh, so for anybody looking to do an early retirement or an early semi-retirement you know what were these key components that can really shorten the number of years you need to work and and let's break this de- question down kind of into two parts so the first is you know let's talk about the controllable factors uh which you know we can all kind of focus on things we can actually you know do uh you know that have this biggest impact on how early we can retire uh, right. and then after that let's talk about the factors that we can't control directly but that absolutely need to be factored in into the financial plan, no matter who your financial planner advisor is, just because they have such a big impact on your ability to retire early as well. Right. So, so like, right. you know, here, here I'm referring to like a lot of the government related things, for example. Right. And, and you know, other things that are that are uncontrolled, but completely like inflation. Yeah. But <coughs> excuse me. So let, let's start with um, the parts that you, you that you can control. And obviously the biggest the biggest aspect which is under your control is your spending. Um, you, you know, Warren Buffett said the best way to make money is to save it, <laughs> you know, and, and unfortunately we live in a, an era or a society where we're making a hundred bucks and we're spending 120. That's not gonna, that's not sustainable. So the controllable aspects are obviously living within your means. If you're making, I mean, if, if I wasn't saving money every day of my life, I couldn't sleep at night. I'm a financial planner, I guess maybe that's why, but I'm just saying everybody obviously has to live within their means and that that's going to hit home when, not if, but when interest rates rise. Okay. And that's, I think that's going to be a scary time for a lot of people. So the first aspect is, you know, spending less money and, and making sure you're saving money. Um, another aspect that you can control and like in your part is, you know, are you going to work part-time when you retire or during your retirement years? So I think the best answer 
to that is, and one one answer, one question that we answered for you is, I want you want to work part time, okay, because you enjoy it, but you also want to be in a position where if you're not enjoying it, you want to be able to say, "That's it, I'm done." So if you can find yourself, if or if anybody can find themselves in a situation like that, then great. If you want to retire from your day job. And you know you can do some sort of, you know, part-time gig on the side, and then you know have enough money to be in retirement. Then that's pretty much like an ideal world. So the question is, will you want, will or will will somebody want to have some sort of, you know, side job when they're retired? And a lot of people, we you know whether they like it or not, right now are faced with that because, again, savings hasn't been, you know, too too high. There's, you know, there's lots of people saying millennials are never going to retire, which I don't agree with. Okay. But if they continue or if people continue on the same track that they've been doing over the past, you know, 15, 20 years and, and, and more, well, there's going to be retirement ages of 70 and 75 coming down the road. That's a fact. So control your spending and obviously, and obviously try to look for other sources of income that can come towards you when you retire. So those are pretty much the controllable aspects, spending less and seeing if you can find some sort of part-time job to compensate you or to, to, to give you a little bit extra income when you retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John, the, just to kind of, uh, just to add to that, especially about the, the part-time income uh, piece, because yeah. I remember when I was kind of crunching my own numbers and all that, I, I, I made the assumption that I'm going to just, you know, we're, we're saving for a full blown retirement. You know, we're never going to generate another, dollar of income, whether it's through a side gig or part-time right. work or whatever, you know, right. and, and that's all my modeling and all that stuff, like all the you know, models I built and stuff. It was all making that assumption. And then, you know, once, and then kind of once we sort of hit that number, I was like, you know what? I can't just, I want to just stop working a hundred percent. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my, like, you know, I'm 33 right now. Right. So right. like, like, like what am I going to do? Working. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what, you know, why, uh, what am I going to do with like, you know, there's got to be, yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's just, it's just not real realistic. I don't think it would be very, I think I wouldn't find it very fulfilling to just be fully, fully retirement when being that young. Like there's only so much, uh, you know, like TV and, and, you know, walks you can go on and stuff. So, right. so, so that was a mistake I would say I made in my numbers was I just kind of assumed this, this, you know, this zero income world. And you know, yeah. what's interesting is I, I read a lot of, um, you know, kind of uh, for other bloggers that are kind of have reached financial independence very early as well. And right. what's, and what's interesting is that all of them still generate just quite a bit of income just from their side gigs right so every single Correct. one of them uh, and that's interesting because because they and they and they made the same mistake i did at least all the ones that i follow was that yeah they also made the assumption that they're fully retiring they're not going to generate any income and 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 after being you know doing it you know so yeah you go on your vacation you you have a nice you know meal to celebrate or whatever yeah. but after a while you know you, you you're going to do something that makes some money just like but it's i guess the difference is you're doing it because you like it and the money is a bonus as opposed to you're doing it because you have to pay, you know, the bills or whatever, right? Correct. Uh, Correct. And, and, and that makes and, such a huge impact on your numbers. It's insane what a big well you saw like with ours, right? Like that made that makes yeah. a monumental like I like I know we can still fully retire, but just the semi retirement alone makes such a huge impact on how much we can spend every year just because right. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 wild what a big difference it makes. No, absolutely. And again, you know, I'm gonna come back to the point where everyone's different, okay? It, the, the, the semi-retirement or the part-time work is not for everybody also. Some people say, you know what, work is work and when I am when I retire, I want to be done with work and I want to be doing whatever I want, whether it's making me money or not. So 
we need to plan for that as well. And then again, life changes. You know, you might find something that you're very interested in, which you'll have to take into account or which you should take into account when you're planning again, going in, going, going in the future. Um, so everyone's different, Cornell. Um, some people will do part-time work. Some people won't. Uh, if some people love something and they're doing it and they can earn money doing it, then great. Then obviously you can probably, you know, semi-retire, but I, it all comes down to getting all that information down on paper and then working with it to come up with, with different, uh, different options. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think in my case, it's more like, you know, I, I look like if I was, you know, 70 right now right then the conversation would probably might be very different right i may be like tired Correct. of working because i've been working you know so so th those i think yeah i think that's different right like if you've been in a working in a full-time job you know from your you know early 20s to 60 or 65 uh you know like my mother-in-law just retired right like so she's been working her whole life i totally don't blame her for wanting to totally stop working right, I mean, she's been right. working full-time for you know her whole life almost right so i totally right. I, I i get that a hundred percent um, but I think, you know, when I see people who are early retired, you know, like in their 30s, for example, right? Mm -hmm. I, I find a lot of times too, right? Like every, at least everyone that I follow and, and myself too, like there's certain passions you want to pursue. And if you, that maybe you didn't have time to do or didn't have as much time to do because you were kind of working full time. And right. so when you're not working full time anymore, you can pursue those things. And, you know, not surprisingly, if, if it's a passion and you love it, a lot of times those passions can also bring in some money on the side, right? So, correct, correct. so, so it's just a very different, uh, so that's why like, yeah, like I haven't seen anyone that's, you know, retired in early in their thirties and right. are just like, no, I'm, I've been relaxing for two years so far and I that's all I'm going to do the rest of yeah. my life I just haven't met anyone like that yet it's all it's all you know priorities every generation is different and you know what Cornell two or three or four or five years from now you might change you know I'm right. a little Who older yeah. than you are okay I turned 50 a couple of days ago so your perspective changes your family gets older some people might not have kids and they will have kids. things change so this is why i always say things change so a financial plan is not etched in stone it needs to be molded it needs to be massaged as you go on in life right right it helps you do the make the best decisions you can with the information you have uh, exactly. right now basically and then you exactly. and then you tweak it accordingly yeah exactly yeah. now so, some of the things that you that we say we those are things we could control, but we mentioned you mentioned Canada Pension Plan, old age security. I just want to tell you know people there are some people there that, that don't know these things. You're, if you're working, you're contributing to the Canada Pension Plan, and you're going to get a, a, a pension from from Canada. Um, so those numbers are available, and I always have clients you know show me their statement of participation. Basically, it's a statement that says how much money you can expect from your Canada Pension Plan. You also have old age security that everyone gets, every Canadian gets. Um, and so these are numbers that have to be put in as well. Uh, the, the biggest number which can make a real big difference is inflation. So when I did your plan, if I increased inflation by 1% or 1.5% a year, it makes a world of a difference. And for that matter, if I reduced inflation. So, you know, if we're going to find ourselves, you know, four or five years from now, at, you know, inflation at 10%, that's a game changer and it changes everything. So these factors are very important and these factors we can control, but we can definitely take them into account as they happen to figure out what we're going to do. So, 
um, the inflation number is really something though. If I, you know, if we assume 5% inflation a year going forward, your plan is finished and you're going to go back to work guy versus two and a half percent or 3%. And, you know, the, the financial planning standards and here in Quebec, the, the IQPF sets, you know, certain rates as to where they feel we should be using when we're doing financial plans. And right now inflation is at like, Two and a quarter, two and a half percent. I like using three percent just in case, but you know, anywhere between two and a half and three percent as an inflation number is not a bad idea. Remember, I lived through the ten percent inflation where I saw chocolate bars go from twenty-five cents to fifty cents in a year, type of thing. You know, mm -hmm. so these are things that we have to take into account as well. Mm -hmm. And another thing, very quickly, this doesn't happen too often, but it happens. Um, and that's pension plans from companies. You know, you, you might think you can depend on a pension plan. And then, you know, when you're when you're 20 years down the road, when you need your pension, the pension money's not there. That happens. Mm -hmm. That's happened to, obviously, people from Nortel. It's, you know, there's other stories that are out there where people are saying they're going to they're get 50 cents to the dollar that, you know, basically of what they were expecting with their pension. So yeah. these are things that are, are, again, out of our control. And, you know, we sort of, we have to put them in there, but if things change, we need to take them into account and, you know, replan everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even, I, I didn't look into it too deeply, but I remember, I think even, I saw something about Sears uh, recently, because right? they were, they're um, obviously, you know, kind of going out of business, right? And so that, I, there was some article I noticed too, where people were kind of trying to, fight you know for to make sure they get they still get their full pension i don't know how it ended up resulting but it's but it is like a real it's a real thing right to be on your mind if you're if your whole retire or not whole but if a big portion of retirement is is dependent on a, a particular employer what happened when that employer goes away right certainly, um, certainly. and i mean sears and Nortel, i mean you know huge companies right i mean you yeah. so you you can't have that like oh they're too big to to fail kind of deal like well right it, it can uh -huh. definitely happen right um, but yeah, the CVP OAS thing is a, a, a big thing because I can see it being a bit daunting if someone does their own numbers and if they don't factor that in, it could be like, oh, I need so much to retire. This is like, there's no way I can achieve that, right? But then sure. once CVP and OAS kicks in, that can really make a really, or that, or that does make a really, really big difference. Um, so, you know, you could have like a bit of an early retirement. You're using your RSP TFSA money, for example, you know, on register me before you start getting those. And then, right. it, and then once you hit the right age, your CPP and OAS kick in and now you're getting that income. So there's different ways to, to structure it um, so that you don't need this just insane amount of money, you know, this giant amount exactly. of money uh, because, because, because you're making, you've made this whole time, you've made this assumption that you'll never get CPP and OAS, which is Correct. not realistic. And also, as I mentioned a little earlier, if you're living in a home and you have, you know, a couple of children, you know, at 65 or at 60 or whatever, you don't necessarily, you know, you're not necessarily going to be there. You can downsize and, and go into a condominium and there's an extra hundred thousand dollars, for example, or, or, you know, but it all depends where you live. And as we said earlier, you know, you can go outside of the city and you're going to get, you know, far cheaper, uh, real estate or, you know, a home. So all these, there's just so many things that have to be taken into account. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like the biggest expenses are what taxes, uh, your home or, or like, you know, where you live, uh, and transportation, right? Like, uh, like the cars, right? So if you can optimize things from a tax perspective, move somewhere that's less expensive, like in less expensive city or, or lower, you know, move to a smaller home, 
yeah, and then you know, go down to one car, let's say, because you're retired now, and both you and your partner don't need don't each need to have a car anymore. I mean, Correct. things like that can make a huge impact. Absolutely, and yeah, and yeah. that's where a good financial planner comes into play that brings out these things, right? And gives you choices to to have not just telling you, you know, you know, let's let's you know, let's buy an RSP this year and let's put it in Canadian equity, for example. That's just not, you know, right, that's, right. Really, that's really the last thing that comes into play. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's more about, well, should this even be in the RSP at all? Should we or should we be using RTFSA instead? Right. And then should you know, people have RSPs to begin with? Should I we mean, have it. Yeah. Are we in the tax bracket to really take advantage of? It? Yeah. Like there's all these things, right? There's too much. I, I Very quickly, I'll say this. I'm going through a situation now with a client where I've told him you have too much money in your RSP right now because right. when he's going to start withdrawing money from his RSP, he's going to be forced to take out money, which is going to be taxed that he won't need. So there are situations right. where an RSP is not the best thing, but that's, you know, again, that goes along with, I'm able to look at, you know, people's situation and everything about them and figure out if it's a good idea or not. Mm-hmm. There are circumstances where it's not a good idea to take an RSP. That's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'll I, never hear that. You'll never hear that in the media or or when you walk into your bank because that's how they make money, right? Right, yeah. right, exactly. So, you know. Yeah, it, it's in the RSP. It, it's kind of you know locked into an extent, right? And uh, so it's people don't you know withdraw relief from it, right? Unless uh, for, for the most part. So it's an easy thing to to, to sell investments for, I think, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, like, um, yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, I heard that's a pretty big um, issue with some like uh, like older with some older Canadians in that you know they you know when they kind of got into investing the TFSA wasn't even around right like RRSP was like the kind of only game in town right. uh, you know and so now they've just they've they've put like like your client right like where they've just put so much money into it now and it's grown substantially which is good but now you know if they don't if they don't start withdrawing it early enough they're going to be forced to take out much bigger amounts that could actually make them jump to higher tax brackets so there's a lot of yeah like tax efficiency planning that goes around that exactly yeah, and yeah. and they suffer also or they risk getting their old age security clawed back right right so at a certain level the government says well you know what you don't need us anymore so we won't give you you know the, the money that you deserve right so there's so many things that have to be taken into account and that's that's definitely one of them for sure yeah it's like uh you, you get hit a few times right like first with the mandatory you know rsp withdrawals through the riff right and then yep. cbp comes in oas comes in all of a sudden you you know you could if you if you don't plan this correctly you could actually be in a higher tax bracket when you're retired than before you were retired which is not supposed to be the and the whole purpose of rsp right was to put money into it so that you can withdraw when you're in a lower tax bracket so and i'm just looking at your income tax line here that i showed you on the plan and you're in good shape but there are cases where you'll be in a higher tax bracket when you retire and that's a no-no yeah yeah i remember we talked about that we put that on like the next uh thing to talk about that's uh, correct if you if you're earning income or if you have assets, if you have assets right now that you know you're not going to need when you retire, well, there's different strategies that we can use now to make that, those assets grow in a tax-free environment. For sure, yeah. So we're definitely gonna have, uh, have yeah, we're gonna we're definitely gonna talk about that, yeah, because that's, uh, yeah. When when I saw those numbers, I was like, okay, we really gotta get like we're, yeah. all, we're everything all is good now, but we wanna not pay too many taxes when we're older either, because of what we just talked about, like all those mand- mandatory withdrawals, like the exactly. yeah, the RRSP withdrawals were crazy because it's a percentage, yeah. right? So if you've got a big enough nest egg, it's a massive amount you're taking out. 
Absolutely, and I have clients that need to take out that need to take out seventy thousand dollars a year, oh, and they have yeah. enough they have, they have enough money to live on. They don't need that, so they'll take out the seventy, and thirty five goes to the government. Yeah, which is sad, right? Because they could have taken that money out, like if they, I guess, came to you earlier, right? They could have structured it in a way where maybe they took some of the RSP money earlier before their CPP and OAS hit. So now they're you know they're enjoying their lifestyle, and also they're, you know they're good chance there's a good chance they're healthier at that point too, right? Where you know you're younger, you can travel, so you're using some of the RSP money. Uh, you know, Correct. for like an earlier Correct. retirement, right? And then when the, uh, you know, and then CPP always hits and it helps, now it's helping you cover your uh, non-discretionary expenses, things like that. So, That's right. And business yeah. owners, a lot of my clients are business owners and they're in a position where they're able to save money in their business. And that in many ways could be a better option than actually making any kind of RRSPs. Mm -hmm. But we go through that analysis with our clients to see what's the optimal place to save money right. from a tax point of view. And in many cases, you know, RSPs are not necessarily the best the best vehicle for 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 savings. And that's especially true for business owners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the business owners, that's a whole that's a whole other animal there. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, completely yeah. Different, completely different financial planning for business owners than yeah. it is for employees, let's yeah. say, you know. Yeah, but it's, but I mean, yeah, the uh, their menu of options is 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 nice at least, right? You can, yeah, you can try different things. Yeah, so um, no, that's great. All right, I hope you enjoyed part one of this episode with John. Remember that if you want some unbiased answers from John or are considering maybe having him take a look at your financials like he did with us to see if you're on the right track to retire or ensure your finances are actually optimized, then you can sign up for a free consultation with him by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. So that's just J-O-H-N. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. And there's, once again, there's no obligation or anything like that. And I had a great experience with John, so I know you will as well. All right. And of course, once again, a big thanks to paytm.ca for sponsoring the episode. And don't forget to try out Paytm on your phone or tablet for free to get the $10 off any bill that you're paying. Just go to paytm.ca, download the app, select the bill you want to pay, and use the promo code BUILDWEALTH, all lowercase, all one word, to get a free $10 cash back on that bill. They've had some incredible giveaway prizes. Like I said, recently they had the two iPhone 10s that they gave away, and they even gave away an all-inclusive vacation just for people paying their bills through the app. So download the app to be in the loop about all future giveaways like this, and I wish you the best. All right, so that's all for today. A big thanks once again to our sponsor, paytm.ca. Have a wonderful week and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.